Mars according to astrology. Thursday, Jupiter. Many companies and businessmen agree that Thursdays are the most productive day of the week. This is because Jupiter, the ruling planet, pushes us to keep moving and doing things. Expansion and entrepreneurship are fed by Jupiter and Thursdays. No, money, money will make you depressed. <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, you know, family, uh, you know, family's not always uh, great. You know, family can cause depression, too. Everyone was a dork at some time in their life. That's right. Everybody we, was. We go out to prove that. And then, yeah, we're out to prove that we're still, <laughs> I mean, but every, to every punker, there was a time in their life where they weren't listening to punk music and they were just a dork at their high school anyways. People used to listen to heavy metal or people used to be gothic or whatever, you know? It's just, at some point in your life, I mean, we something be, about punk music appealed to you and we, you got into it. We were a disco band for a number of Then you compared a woman's love to hell, to barren land where water will not dwell. And you compared it to a quenchless fire. The more it burned, the more is its desire to burn up everything that burnt can be. You say that just as worms destroy a tree, a wife destroys her husband and contrives, as husbands know, the ruin of their lives. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you fathers of English literature, widely considered the greatest English poets of the Middle Ages, Screedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. What a special, delicious episode we've got for you this week. Sean has a big announcement, which he'll get to in just a moment. And what a treat it is to have our guest, Jeff Rickley, joining us this week. Want to feel old? It is the 20th anniversary of his highly influential band, Thursday. That's right. You, dear Screedlers, are old. Get in, losers. We're getting old. Whatever. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 77 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. And before we get to this week's guest, I've got a little bit of news, Screedlers. This week, I am moving out of New York City to Austin, Texas. You've heard me rattle on repeatedly about the years I spent living out west in Arizona and Oregon before New York. And while I absolutely do love the hell out of this city, I'm itching to be back in a landscape that looks like it wants to murder me. And Humor in the Abject will, of course, be continuing. I've got a lot of great upcoming episodes already lined up for you, and I hope that I develop a gentlemanly Texas drawl uh, immediately upon arrival in Austin. If you've been thinking about showing your support to Humor in the Abject on Drip, now would be a great time. Moving is expensive. So go to d.rip slash humor and the abject. That's d.rip slash humor and the abject if you'd like to kick in just five bucks a month to keep this project sustainable. Now on to the episode. This week's guest is Jeff Rickley, frontman for the post-hardcore legendary band Thursday. Jeff's also been involved with a bunch of different music projects over the years, including the anonymous power violence supergroup United Nations, 
Uh, and he's collaborated with former members of Lost Prophets on this dreamy pop-influenced project called No Devotion. With the 20th anniversary of Thursday Upon Us, can you believe it? 20 years of Thursday? Jeff stopped by to talk about his history with the band, uh, living in the present, and his endearing love of all things literary. Thanks for joining again this week, Screedlers. Here's my conversation with Jeff Rickley. Cool. Well, Jeff Rickley, uh, welcome to Human the Abject. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Sean. Uh, it's been a really brutally hot summer. Um, how have you been keeping cool? Uh, I hate tips? the heat a lot. <laughs> I hate the heat so much. Um, I go in the ocean or I go in the air conditioning. Those are pretty much the only two places I like to be in the summer. Subway's good because air conditioning. You got a beach you like to hit? Yeah, I mean, we have a we have a parking pass for uh, Jacob Reese. So oh, it's yeah. Just, yeah. That's a spot. Yeah. <laughs> Although a friend made us come to their uh, beach club the other day. Beach club. That was a trip. Wait, like a country club? Yeah, but yeah. Whoa. That's the idea. It looked oh. like a jail. <laughs> it looked like a jail on the beach. <laughs> a jail for rich people to enjoy themselves. No. Um, so it's kind of... It's hard to believe this, but the like the twentieth anniversary of Thursday yeah. is <laughs> that is very hard for me to believe. Kind of weird, um, and I want to talk a little bit about that, um, but uh, and what you've got planned and stuff. But first, I wanted to kind of do a little time traveling, if that's cool. Um, uh, yeah, I love over it. Over the course of those twenty years, and also all the other stuff that you've done, um, can you give me kind of the uh, you know I know what's out there, but the the New Jersey origin story of Thursday. Sure, yeah. Because I, I mean, I don't know. We're probably pretty close in age, I feel like. Yeah. But, um, Both of us are like, so we're not saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, but I remember, I mean, it's interesting to, when, uh, you know, you and I met up yesterday and you were like, yeah, it's the 20th anniversary. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Right. What? No, that's not right. <laughs> I know. That, what is this, Aerosmith? <laughs> I know. I just got a bunch of questions from somebody doing a doctorate on Thursday, which I think is crazy. A doctorate. And a they PhD. were like, yeah. And they were like, you know, back in your day. And I was like, no, yeah, cool. it's still my day. <laughs> but so when it, did you, what is it like 97, 98, 98. or something? 98. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Tw- well, yeah. Yeah. Math. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 20 so, years ago. <laughs> so 1998, um, I, um, I had been doing basement shows uh-huh. in New Brunswick, which is, at the time at least, was famous for for basement shows, you know, for punk, punk hardcore basement shows. And, um, you know, sort of famously, the Lifetime, the band from yeah, New Jersey, yeah. had a basement and they had, you know, theme song from New Brunswick Basement Show was one of their songs. And Bouncing Souls and, and Lifetime had this house and, you know, it was all kinds of... Uh, punk legends took place there um so we sort of took the mantle when both those bands became national touring bands mm-hmm. you know, they weren't home to do that anymore um a bunch of my friends we had a house at 331 somerset and we would have uh we had three different people at the time doing shows so we had three different kind of shows we had a very hardcore hardcore straight edge youth crew new jersey uh-huh. roommate yeah we had um it's like a reality show yeah 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 true story <laughs> um and then and then i was doing sort of like I, I was more interested in the dc bands like 400 years and mile marker um i wanted to do the san diego bands like swing kids and okay. vss and stuff like that um so yeah so we had a lot of different things going on and um you know i i also wanted to do the emo bands and you know i wanted to have Rainer Maria playing with Q and not you and stuff Uh like that. That was kind of how it started. And then I met the Thursday guys because they came to see those shows. Okay. And, um, they were all in basically all of them, except for me, they were all in art school. 
Huh. So it was like it was like a whole that explains a lot. Thing. Yeah, the sound of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean like we would be talking it's about a sculpture. Things. Yeah, no, our you know there's this big charcoal exhibit, and Tom would be like, I want to do a song like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, I can picture it, but I can't hear it. <laughs> That's cool. So you guys are just playing. You're kind of filling the void as bands sort of move up the. Yeah, we just wanted to play those shows. We wanted to play basement shows. We wanted to play my basement shows. It, it never went beyond that when we started the band. It was yeah. like, oh, we could play these shows. Yeah. With some of the bands that we dig, and then it was like other people had basements around town, and they were like, you should play these shows. And then Q and I, was like, you should come play the the Wilson Youth Center with us. And you know, it just kind of went from there, where bands that would come through and stay on our floor, stay on our couch, and eat our food would be like, hey, you should come do this at our place. Yeah, yeah. And that's how we started touring. And then, uh, yeah, and then it just sort of went from there. That really, that kind of vibe, though, trickled out to all the, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, and that was, mm-hmm. you would hear about, like, New Jersey basement shows and things like that. And so totally. you started to kind of model stuff after, if it was through zines or things like that. And so, yeah, it was cool to have people kind of just say, hey, you can um, you can build this thing or create something, even if there's no kind of larger structural support. Absolutely. Because it gave, I think, kids in my town the audacity to, like, go to a VFW hall and mm-hmm. be like, how much does it cost to rent this place for the night? And they're like, how old are totally. you? Totally. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's amazing, right? And, and people would do it. And then, yeah, and bands would kind of come up and swap and stuff. And then I remember it was like a really big deal to go play Flint. Right. Like this place, Local 432, I think it was called. It I was love like it. a like a UAW hall or something in yeah. Flint. But that was like, that was the goal was to like leave Traverse City and go to Flint and like totally. play this place where these bands were or something. Because it was, that was like an amazing thing but it was it was just because people saw other people doing this in other places and that permission that you get yeah when you hear about this stuff is pretty phenomenal and the thing that was great about the 90s for hardcore and punk um in my estimation aside from the shift into the more personal realms mm-hmm. of thought and not just sort of like tougher yeah you know unity brotherhood you know which all that stuff like it clearly there was people felt a need to come together yeah you yeah. know so and it's not, good on paper yeah. i'm not yeah i'm not anti any of that um i anti, just jeff rickley is anti-unity, anti-unity. Heard it, i've actually had people say that to me before <laughs> he, hates, <laughs> he hates togetherness um but when it started getting more personal the thing that i really liked about it back then was that nobody had the expectation that it would lead to anything bigger no you could you would never be presented with the opportunity to sell out never uh, quote unquote which is a hilarious thing to look back on now, right to, to think of <laughs> well you know and the thing is that after thursday sort of exploded out of nowhere i mean we're the first band to really go from the basement to you know five thousand seater sold out yeah. every night the thing that happened after that that i find so crazy is that the basement got co-opted as a kind of like stepping stool to success again huh. and that's the thing that i loved about it when i was coming up in it was that it wasn't there was no motive right well the show was the end yeah of itself there were no there were no aspirant models to think oh this path has been charged or something so yeah that makes sense when the unexpected kind of success of thursday happens and then all of a sudden it's like oh it must be a recipe for something right and a lot of people said you know you guys ruined it you guys ended this (laughs) i remember when people said you can't play here anymore stop making it so people like you (laughs) yeah yeah and i understood this is the thing even though it hurt i understood because it was a really pure like there was something that was happening in the basement that there was no model for in capitalism that right. we were all just doing something together yeah yeah and there was no model for i think you know in the art world where there's also an end goal of kind of recognition yeah, yeah. And scholarly. Even, yeah even if it's like a i have a cool diy space that i run out of this it's like the 
there's still multiple examples of people who did that. And then now mm. they have, um, like I have some friends who started a gallery in Portland called Appendix. They have a space in Chelsea now. You know, I mean, yeah, it's been right. 12 years or something. Not that I, I Not have there's no, anything wrong I have with no that. qualms with it. Right. I mean, good. They're being successful. That's amazing. But yeah, it does create kind of like a, instead of just a doing it for the art's sake, there's kind of like a, well, I yeah. can probably, you know, if I start this apartment gallery in Chicago, who knows what could happen in 10 years or something instead of totally. just enjoying a scene. Well, or, there was something about the, the scene in the basement where you never had a second guess. The it was just kind of there. If yeah. you were there, you were there. That was it. Yeah. You know, and um, that was, that was wonderful. That's right. Um, What are some, I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of these, but what are some, uh, what are some weird highlights from, I don't know, people you've toured with or places you never thought you'd get to visit? Um, Shows that went unexpectedly well, Mm. you know, you ever win a crowd over that you thought you were going (laughs) to get pelted? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, this is something that I was just sort of writing about to remember it. And, uh, and I, I've been thinking about it was we played this show in Texas in a, I think it was a gymnasium of a school. I'm not really sure. It seemed like a gymnasium. Mm. We were playing uh, with this band recover and they were from Texas and people knew them. And it seemed that we maybe weren't as well known there, even though they were opening for us on this tour. Yeah. Locals only. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they had this like smashing show and we were like, this is going to be the best show ever. Right? Uh, like there's like 600 kids in this gym and this is before we had caught on really. So uh, we were like, oh yeah. So we get up there and we start playing and, and it's just dead, it's <laughs> dead. But we had just added like uh, keyboards and the power was too hard on the breakers. So we, <laughs> we like killed the power <laughs> and in the dark, our drummer just kept playing uh-huh. and the crowd started getting amped up and I just kept on shouting yeah. over the crowd without a microphone. And then there was something about that, that then all of a sudden the kids started stage diving and like crowd surfing and like, they were just like, okay, like, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> and then when the power kicked back on it was like then the show was amazing yeah it was like you'd gotten them there yeah that's cool and you got i mean you guys toured with like it's really funny i was like kind of just as a refresher looking at some stuff and i was just like geez i mean i guess it was a pretty tight-knit thing even it's it's funny because you think of bands that um became i mean not they're not selena gomez big but they got really big <laughs> uh-huh. like murder city devils or like mm-hmm. afi or all these bands like that and stuff so mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of funny to think of everybody just being on these weird little tours and yeah. like meeting each other and stuff yeah no i mean and especially in the years before we caught on i think murder city devils was probably one of the first tours that was like people were actually coming to see us uh-huh. you know what i mean um or coming to see the show not yeah. us they still weren't coming to see us but they're coming to see the show like getting that was they amazing. wanted to hear that funky organ yeah that was a major win <laughs> that was a crazy tour too it was their last tour and in texas they had this list of people who couldn't come to the show because they were too much trouble for the murder city devils <laughs> let me just tell you and two of them they they had stopped putting on the list because they were in jail okay but the guys had gotten got, out of got jail. Paroled. They got out of jail <laughs> and they started a fight on the stage in the show that turned into a whole brawl with the whole crowd where I like broke a bottle over a guy's head. Like it was insane. Like, and where like the band broke their equipment over audience members heads oh and God. we had to bring out our drums and our amps so that they could play <laughs> because it was such a crazy riot and stuff like that. Like now, you know, that would be all over the internet and that's be trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a very, that's very silly and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, well that's, it's, I, I guess I was kind of asking that too, cause <laughs> I've, I've read a couple interviews with you where you've talked about how, um, 
how Thursday wasn't a quote unquote cool band. Right. Um, which is sort of funny because I guess, I mean, I was like a Midwest kid. So I thought Thursday right. was a pretty cool band. But <laughs> okay, who, cool. who told you you guys weren't cool? I mean, <laughs> music So writers. many people. Yeah. <laughs> so many. Uh, other bands would be like, you know, you guys are pretty earnest. Like, oh, yeah, caring sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, um, eh. You know, I'm more of a fan. You know, we would get a lot of like, I'm more of a fan of them than they'd list. Like, it's like, well, yeah, everybody likes them. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, that's cool. Like, everybody <laughs> likes that. Um, we Bands gr- that they wish you were instead. Yeah. I mean, we grew up <laughs> worshiping this Philly band, Ink and Dagger. And, um, oh, yeah. And like, they were way cooler than we were. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, well, their name is really cool. Yeah. Right? Their name is cool. They played in like makeup, strobe lights. It was mm-hmm. awesome. It mm-hmm. was super cool. Um, <laughs> You know, they had some legitimate danger going on. And our danger was more in the danger of actually, like, saying what you mean. Yeah. It's like a yeah. whole different kind of or thing. Or you might hurt your own feelings while playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Frequently might, did. You might have a run the risk of having a connection with an audience member. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, man, that's pretty... That's... It's like not passwording your Wi-Fi, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, a connection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That's about... <laughs> um, well, I mean, some of that's probably related to, uh, like, lyrically. Um, I mean, your lyrics in Thursday were certainly of a more bookish persuasion, mm-hmm. I think, than a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, are you a pretty voracious reader? Yeah, I am. I still am. I think probably... I, I'll read two or three books a week wow so it's i read a lot and it's definitely i used to think of it as this really you know sort of well-read and intellectual thing that i was doing and then at some point i realized and this is probably why i was getting sober i realized that reading is my escape mechanism yeah because when i watch tv my thoughts drown out the anything passive Mm -hmm. i will worry and think and be in pain over the top of that Sure. But with reading, I'm putting somebody else's words. I'm having to say them in my brain. Yeah, yeah. And it pushes out the static a little bit. Yeah, and, and you're um, having to produce everything in your head. Like that's you're right. You're having to make the story up. That's yeah. right. I'm cranking up a factory and getting rid of all the crap in my head. You yeah. know what I mean? So. I guess watching TV, I, I, I feel like I'm engaged, but sometimes I do very much like a thing will happen in this story that reminds me of something that I've pretty much been actively uh, avoiding thinking about yep. and then it's just kind of like it's and I go off train. And, yeah and I guess sometimes that can happen kind of with reading but usually I think because if I get to the end of a paragraph and I realize I haven't paid attention right. I'm like oh I gotta I gotta nope, go back, gotta go back because yep. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna remember what's going on here and definitely like the more that you read the more that muscle like will just kick in and you'll just push things out yeah and so like I you know so I've actually thought recently like at some point, I'm going to have to deal with some stuff and stop, <laughs> like stop reading all the time and actually like, you uh-huh. know, so now I try and meditate a little and do all, you know, do all the stuff that you're sp- supposed to do. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That's, that's funny. I get, but I get excited with, uh, reading and I like to read, I like to read pretty heavy duty stuff. I really like to read pulpy stuff. I like hard boiled mm-hmm. detective novels mm-hmm. a lot in this way that it's kind of like, I look forward to what these characters are going to do and I'll like yeah. speak about it to Claire in like, uh, I'll be like, I want to know what Jim's up to you know, mm-hmm. like some person in the story. And so that's, that's what I feel like when I go to read and I can read a little bit and I have a different kind of identification with it, I guess. But who are some of the, I mean, I could probably guess some <laughs> connections, but in yeah. terms of stuff that impacted you when you were younger, writing oh, yeah. lyrics and stuff, who are some of the authors that you were uh, pulling from? I mean, there's some pretty, I think, direct allusions and even sure. like, uh, even maybe like album titles or something. Sure. Or, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, you know, the way that I fell in love with uh, literature is probably pretty similar to anybody else who has. Um, 
I was forced into reading Moby Dick as a kid and uh-huh. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I enjoyed it though. I thought that's really cool. You know, yeah. there's all this stuff going on. You can really, there's a world in this book. You know what I mean? Um, but it wasn't until, and this is so, it's such a cliche. It's such a, you know, done thing, but it's true. The first time I was assigned the great Gatsby, you know, huh. it was like, I just couldn't believe that language could do what he was doing with it. Yeah. And to the point where I think I, I think I may have failed the class on the great Gatsby <laughs> because I was taught when they asked, when they were asking me to describe what I liked about it, I started talking about, I liked the way it was written and the language and the, the images. And they were like, you didn't read it. Yeah, oh yeah. You're like, just like making like the book report on the fly. You're like I thought right. it was, uh, it was really good. <laughs> you know, cause I said it probably more like it was really good. It was actually good. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't boring. It was good. Like mention a plot point. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what they just wanted me to like prove that I had read it. Um, was that like high school? Yeah, I think that was freshman year of high school. Okay, yeah. Um, I had a really great lit teacher in high school who changed my fucking world. It's it crazy, amazing. right? And I ran into her a couple of years ago at like a theater in my hometown. She looks the exact same, which ruled. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it had been almost like I graduated high school in 2000. Mm-hmm. So like it had at that point it had been like 15, 16 years. And I was just, she looked the exact same. But I just remember like I took uh, one of her classes and then I took an AP lit class with her, you mm-hmm. know? And she let me like write my own bibliography for the class, but mm-hmm. with like she recommended some really cool stuff. Like yesterday, we were talking about uh, like Dante, and mm-hmm. that was she was like, "You got to read Dante," and like <laughs> yeah. gave me that. And then yeah. she's like, "You got to read like Chaucer," and like yeah. gave me because I was into you know like I was into some goth shit. And she was like, "Here's here's a few leads," and then yeah. I discovered other stuff. But yeah, it was like I fell in love with that stuff early mm-hmm. because it was like a couple things that I read resonated, even though I'd been forced to read a ton of stuff. And then right. I guess you get the appetite for it. I think that's it. Yeah, it's that appetite really gets you. I mean, my mom really early tried to put me onto literature by, uh, she was an 18th century uh, doc- doctorate in English lit, or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> when she hears this, she's going to be like, do you not know? <laughs> do you really not know? Um, but she named me after Chaucer. That's that's why my name is Jeffrey yeah, with a G yeah. and my middle Gioff. name. I remember being a kid and just being like, who's, what is a Gioff? Oh, man, you don't know. I <laughs> still a, get it. I'm a scene, so like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I yeah. got that a lot in the Midwest. And William, my middle name was for Shakespeare. So she really had, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to read and you're going to love literature. But, you know, <laughs> I think for me really... <laughs> The the Fitzgerald took off into a wider world of of literature in college, I think, like it does for a lot of people, too. And that was when um, I had a few professors who really loved me and really looked after me. And one of them was Miguel Aldrin, who uh, runs the New York and Poets Cafe on the Lower East Side. And um, so he got me into poetry. um, And... And, and, you know, also college was like the first time that I read DeLillo and it was, you know, yeah. White Noise and, and... Ooh, I remember reading that the first time. That really blew my mind, yeah, you know? Yeah, it was fun. And, um, yeah, it was super fun. And I read, you know, City of Glass by Paul Auster and saw what pulp could be if it was postmodern and stuff like that. Really, that really got me. You know, I really wanted to read something that had the the sort of hard-boiled qualities and the sort of like page-turning qualities of mysteries but dealt with mysteries of existence you yeah know? yeah and that was um was huge and that made me that made me want to find out more and I started digging more and more and more and because I went to Livingston College at Rutgers which is a, a fairly famous school now I, I had a lot of different kinds of studies you know I would uh, read like literature of the other and you know I did a course on Oriental orientalism by Saeed, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, 
Yeah, it was just really, really mind opening. It seems like the kind of trying to plug in <clears throat> something postmodern or, or very literary into something like a hard boiled detective novel, novel or mystery or something like that. There might be a parallel there between what like bands like Thursday were doing with Absolutely. trying to imbue things into this architecture of punk or hardcore Absolutely. and do something kind of more. I, I don't even know what the word is, but right. using using something that exists and trying to like sneak in uh, content that isn't always meant to be in that form absolutely i mean i saw i saw two modes going around me at the time uh that we were playing shows and one mode was uh sort of a a capitalist communist dialectic kind of mode Uh that was sort of the underground hardcore mode around me and then there was uh all the emo bands playing writing songs about like their girlfriends screwing Mm -hmm. them over or whatever Mm -hmm. and i didn't really want to write about either you know and and i started thinking about like what could the narrative voice be and who could the narrator be? And I started thinking about uh, the the basement shows themselves and this feeling that we all got from building something together. And so I wanted a lot of the early Thursday stuff to be about this relationship between we and I and mm-hmm. uh, a collective uh, experience together. And, you know, something I thought about a lot. And I think you're right. I think it was very interesting to me to see how the form itself could be pushed into something new, right? Because yeah. it's like this lowbrow thing. So how do you sneak in some like some other questions and some other discussions that aren't in there? And that's that's very much, I guess, I've never really thought of it that way, but that is very much like the City of Glass thing or Don DeLillo. Or, yeah, it's it's fun too because there were people doing it sonically, I think, around that time. But mm-hmm. even the, I mean, something like, uh, like the refused shape of punk to come comes to mind just because I remember the first time I heard that I was like, what the fuck yeah. is going on here? But, yeah. um, and I think, I mean, but I, I don't think they were actually tongue in cheek. The, the lyrics were very, um, yeah, very basic kind of like, no, they were very straightforward, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, I do think a, some people think it's tongue in cheek, but I don't No, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah. very, <laughs> yeah. we've got the like sexiest vegan, you know, in the world, like yeah. very, <laughs> oh man, I know, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty wild thing that, so I mean, when you're, when you're writing this stuff, it's kind of, it, it's not, it's not prose though. I mean, even though you're drawing a lot of influence from that, you're mm. writing in kind of like these, it basically lyrics are kind of like stilted lines, not unlike poetry, For but sure. is there, I mean, I'm sure people have a lot of perspectives on this, but do you have any kind of thoughts on lyrics as poetry? Is it, are they sure. just sort of separate entities for you? Like, I know some people are like, well, I'm a poet. I just have someone, I have people play. I'm sure Jim Morrison would have thought that. Oh, yeah, he definitely thought that. The band is along for the ride. Yeah, yeah. Ray, do a little noodle on the, is that his name? Ray Manzarek? Yeah, that's right. He's a player, right? Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, I think the thing that I love about writing lyrics is the, the constraints and the limitations that are placed upon them because they need to sound a certain way. I would always be writing for certain vowels Mm because like any place I'd have to hold a note out, you know, I'd know what the sound should be before I knew what the lyrics were. And then, so that gave me another layer of like, okay, it needs to be this many syllables. It needs to fit here. It needs to have this. And like, there needs to be a slant rhyme that has an eye at the end or whatever. Yeah. Um, And that intense level of limitation I found very liberating because if I could make something beautiful out of that and smash words together, and sort of like break the back of the language a little bit and make something surprising that still that still fulfilled all the other criteria that I had, then I felt and like, I know this is it. This yeah. is the line. You know, whereas I think all those limitations, when you start stripping them away, then the possibilities become endless and you're sort of like lost a little bit as to where you could go with it. And Choice is a prison. 
choice yeah. is a <laughs> choice is a prison. Yeah. You know, mathematical <laughs> the mathematically infinite is is a terrible. It's a oh, it's terrifying. terrifying. Like yeah, yeah. look yeah. And again, <laughs> I mean that's the that's a really that's another parallel to this idea of like there's an existing form or like a limitation that's put in front of you or a, a model of something that's like how do I work within this to to create something mm-hmm. that's sort of unique or new. Um, and yeah, that's the. I mean, I haven't played in bands in a long time, but when I did, I, I really remember having a lot of fun trying to write lyrics to fit certain things or like get away with like, how can I make this word sound this way or do this type of vowel in this spot because it needs yeah. to carry over here or something like that. Yeah. And then if you have a larger project at work, you know, like I want to explore the we and the I and I want to explore identity and I want to talk about this, you know, the more that you kind of start stacking those things up. Mm-hmm you know, you have a lot more challenges, but then the whole thing becomes this like sort of shifting. Like I would, sometimes I would watch the band playing with things and I would think about the lyrics and I would think about these, uh, you know, sort of navigating a ship through like ice flows or something. You know, there's like this one path that when I find it, I'm going to know, like click there and hear it. No, that's it. That's it. I got it. You know? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever sing, uh, just like syllabically, you know, like a practice trying to make something, I'm just singing nonsense words. Usually I sing in cliches first, Okay, like, you know, like just whatever comes to mind and it's something really trite, you know, and like three left turns make a right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. What's that? Do you know that? Wait, do you know that? Oh my God. I can't remember the name of the uh, musician slash, I think he's a comedian, but that Italian song that is just a guy it sounds like an american like 70s rock pop song but he's just singing gibberish nonsense but it all sounds exactly like it sounds exactly like english oh no we've just, got our last song oh, I'll, I'll, send it, I'll send it to you it's like <laughs> it's one of the funniest things i've ever heard it was like it was i mean i'm not <clears throat> i'm not going to pretend like i have known what this was for a long time it was on like I think it was at the end of an episode of like the Fargo TV show or something. Awesome. And I was like, and I was like, and it was just like playing. And then after like 30 seconds, I was like, is he he's not <laughs> is he fucking saying anything? saying anything? And then Claire knew about it. I mean, she, uh-huh. she's very hip and knows like fucking knows a ton up. of music. Shit. Yeah. And she's just like, Oh, that's like so-and-so or something. And like, cool. Uh, so she was like, Oh, you got to know about this and t- like explain the entire thing to me. And then I looked it up and just watched yeah. like a video of it. Like, this like, is a phenomenon. Out you of my know. mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's like a lot of uh, this other project that you were involved in. There's a lot of kind of pretty fun punk mythology around it. Um, United Nations. Yeah. Uh, and so United Nations as like a concept seemed to me to be as much like it without sounding reductive, like a parody of a brand as much mm-hmm. as it was a band. Mm-hmm. Like it was b- mostly anonymous. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you were allowed to be in it. Right. Because of some kind of contractual thing <laughs> uh-huh. that you you weren't under a contract that you couldn't play music, but uh-huh. like other people weren't allowed to be in the band, but they were. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What's <laughs> can you enlighten me a little bit about like United Nations? Yeah, well, I had this idea of um yeah, of of so kind of taking all the ideas from Thursday and being like, Well, that's interesting to talk about it sincerely, but if we're able to sort of like amp all of the things that I'm thinking up to the level where they were all parodies of themselves Mm -hmm. and the parody became a parody of itself and the parody after that. And so it's like, so this is this hallway of mirrors, um, you know, and just, and just made it instead of talked about it, you know, just made it that way. What would it seem like? And, um, and so the idea of a super group that was also anonymous (laughs) came about, right? Like what's the point of a super group if you don't know who's in it? Yeah. Yeah. But that actually turned out better because people would be like, I think this person's in it. No, that's the, definitely this person. And that's if, if they're all super, then it's, you know, and it just became its own monster. And then the 
we came up with the United Nations as the name of the band. You got a cease and desist of some kind, right? That's right. <laughs> so right away, <laughs> and this was this is what was amazing about it was right when it was blowing up, uh-huh. right when it was like I think we had had the biggest we had had the biggest premiere of any album on MySpace back in the uh-huh. day, bigger than Snoop Dogg. Okay. You know, big, it was like at the time it was like the biggest thing that ever happened. Because you know the cover of the record was the Beatles on fire, yeah, and you Which know was banned, right? Or something. Yeah. <laughs> so like, then we get a cease and desist, and then like all, and then and then all the corporate chain stores like Hot Topics had to destroy the records from it from a letter from the Beatles. So we have people wait, destroying you, our records. Wait, you got wait. I was talking about a cease and desist from like the UN itself. We did. Okay, and we the got Beatles. that. And then the Beatles had uh, exerted a copyright control, and so they. But in order to show that they weren't reselling the records, yeah. they had to destroy the records on camera oh, and send us video of it, which we were like, are you kidding? This is That's even better. That's a music better. video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is even better than what we had planned. Now you're really parodying everything. You're parodying the commerce. and the Oh, my God. And, and, and the great thing, too, was the guy who did the artwork for United Nations uh, is this artist, James Cotty, who uh, was famously in a band called the KLF. Okay. Who was sort of the spiritual godfathers of what we were doing, only they did it, you know, their sort of uh, famous songs were What Time Is Love, you know, the sort of early techno uh-huh. jam. Um, but they were very like, you know, they were exploding all these kinds of parodies of 80s consumerism. And then, you know, we had all Reagan masks and stuff and people were like, you know, Reagan's been gone for <laughs> yeah. so long. What are you, you know, what is the point of this? And that was sort of a, a critique of punk rock, right? Is yeah, that yeah. sometimes it's so rote. It's yeah. like you can't even think of a modern day critique. You're just critiquing old critiques. And, That's funny. You know, so we just kept on layering it on top, on top. And then we would sell all our critiques, you know, and make money off of them. And yeah, then yeah. it just kept going and going from there. That's hilarious. There was a, um, I don't know. Well, I guess I don't know because it's uh, not, it's not, it's specifically not meant to be public information. But there's a, there was a video, like a lyric video, a United Nations, maybe like a lyric video that's on YouTube that is sort of recent, like from the last couple of years or something. And there's people arguing in the comments about who's singing because uh-huh. apparently you're not singing. That's on great. It. And it's like somebody's like, that's Daryl Palumbo and fuck off if you think it isn't. Like, you know, I'd know that scream anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. all these windows. Just like, uh, I love people saying kinda, stuff like that. It's like that. fun and interactive. Yeah. I mean, there's something very kind of like charming about that. And it kind of like... It can be both serious and be like silly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like take some of the piss out of it. I mean, that's one of the. I don't know if you ever read like that fucking with the hardtimes.net. Oh, I love know? it. It's just like it hurts like yeah. reading some of the things because it's just like, <laughs> so real and damn so funny. I know, but it's also like a, a community that both like <clears throat> the weird thing that is hard for me to rectify with like punk stuff is that so much of it that I. Like I, I was under the impression when I was younger that it was meant to be f- so much of it was meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would meet people and like they had no sense of humor, mm. which kind of blew my fucking mind. You right. know, like a lot of people how- say Jello Biafra has no sense of humor, which I'm like, <laughs> how is that possible? Like, but yeah, like how are you at like a how are you at a screeching weasel concert and like you aren't a funny person, you know, right. or like any of these kind of like. Right. Or like there were like militant punks at like no effects shows, and I was just mm. like, "What are you talking about? This band yeah. is a joke." It's a total like, joke. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I mean, they're very serious about being silly, which is something that I talk about a lot on this podcast. Nice. But that's uh, that's really ridiculous. Uh, well, I think UN two was a reaction to um, after writing all these sincere songs, it becoming such a, a brand. Yeah, for the band. Well, and, when you become a caricature of yourself, yeah, sure. Or, yeah, and so it was like I needed an outlet to like 
talk about how ridiculous I am too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not just people yeah. think it's a critique of everything else. And it's like, no, are you kidding? This, is, half of this is about how stupid I am. Well, how crazy the, my life is. Yeah, you know? that's, that's the difference <laughs> between, uh, and I've mentioned this many times before too, but I mean, that's the difference between, uh, satire and making fun of something mm-hmm. like usually you know if you're doing an effective satire it's because you're like usually deeply invested in the <laughs> right. thing or you care about its outcome right, right or you care about the culture that surrounds it so you know enough or you've done enough research or lived it to be able to do a funny satire sure i mean making fun of something's easy you just like point at something and laugh and say isn't that stupid but the long con of like writing music recording it doing like <laughs> Right. You know, to to assume that it's strictly ironic would be pretty ridiculous oh, yeah. because yeah. it's like it's a lot of it's work. It's a pretty short joke, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the stuff that we do in UN that was my favorite was like we'd have these 30 second songs and I'd write like five pages of lyrics for them. People would be like, man, how do you fit them in? People would actually ask me that and I'd be like, really? That's cool. <laughs> I love that you think that I am fitting them in. It's in the, yeah, it's in the, it's really low. It's like a subtone, <laughs> yeah. but believe me. I'm Play saying, it backwards yeah. and then the other half are there and then you play forwards again and the new half come back yeah. we're like really <laughs> yep <laughs> oh man um, but i mean united nations was like a, like a more brutal sound than thursday but yeah. you've also you've got a softer side you know mm-hmm. um there's so like uh the band that um you're in we're in are in i don't know is it still yeah. going no devotion yes still going yeah okay what just for some new music actually oh cool okay yeah, yeah, so for the uninitiated uh what is what is no devotion so No Devotion started, uh, it's kind of a convoluted story, but the way that it started was uh, a friend of mine, Karen, uh, was managing a band called Lost Prophets Once Upon a Time, and I ran into her at Mission Chinese Food, and she was like, um, did you hear about Lost Prophets breaking up? I was like, oh yeah, you gotta tell me what happened, why they break up, what's going on? She's like, you should sing for their new band, and I was like, uh, didn't the singer get arrested for something? Like, that's like, no thanks. I don't know. I don't, I'm not interested in helping out. Like, those guys are nice guys, but not really, you know? Yeah, yeah. Also, Karen, I never liked Lost Prophets. I didn't think they were good. <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't a fan. I like those guys, like I said, but sure. part of the reason I like those guys is they have a sense of humor about it, too. They'd be like, ah, oh, you know, you won't like it, but we're playing later today yeah. if you want to come by. <laughs> um, and uh, and she was like, no, no, I, you know, we don't know what what exactly the singer did, but you know, he he's been. They haven't gotten along for a long time. You should do something. New. You should come hear it. And she gave me a demo that I didn't listen to for probably a year, uh-huh. maybe less. I don't know. Anyway, at one point, I listened to it and I was like, oh man, this is actually really good. And Thursday was already broken up, and I started thinking about it. Like maybe maybe I will do something. So we agreed I'd do two songs with them. Uh-huh. And I went They're out Welsh. there. They're like Welsh. Welsh. They're all yeah. Welsh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're all Welsh. So I went out there and we did two songs and it turned out like beyond any of our expectations. We were really psyched about it. Um, very nothing like what Lost Prophets were like. Way more like gloomy British yeah. pop music, you know. Um, were you afraid? Very, it, were you afraid it was going to turn out like Audio Slave? Oh yeah, or like Velvet Revolver. Yeah, I'm just trying absolutely. to think of like versions of it. Yeah, yeah, with, with the whole band plus the singer. Yeah, <laughs> like the first time I heard Audio Slave, and I was like, "This sounds like Chris Cornell singing for Rage Against yeah, the Machine." Exactly. That's exactly like, what this sounds like. <laughs> I told them off the bat. I was like, "I'm not going to do that," yeah. and they were like, "Great." Okay, cool. We don't want to do that either. Um, so we do. We basically we make a whole record, and then it comes out what the singer. Uh, was being charged with. It was, it was pretty gnarly shit. It was bad. Yeah. It was bad. It was like 30 counts of like, yeah, like sex crimes against, mo- like not minors, like really young, like Jesus children. Christ. And, um, and you know, I have to say like as, as horrified as I was, I mean, the band members were 
devastating. Well, yeah, I'm sure know? they've constructed their entire lives around singing just by association. They had already been with, a band for like, 20 years. Jesus You know, Christ. at that point. Oh, my that's, God. That's a while ago. And they yeah. had, you know, they have platinum records on their yeah. walls. And all of them have families who are at least partly supported by this band. Jesus you know, like Christ. they all had kids except for the singer. And too. all of that is. All of them. Just colored by that. And then the whole time you're just thinking about like how long have you been like associating with this person that's harming all of these fucking I mean, people. Like Jesus. They all wanted to, they were like, so the, I think at least two of them, I know smashed their plaques up and stuff and wow. like just tried to erase any Ooh. legacy that they had. And that must've been some fun shoes to step in. I mean, it's a different well, band, but Jesus it was, Christ. it was tough. It was tough in the sense that uh, I had to convince them to still do the band at all. Yeah. Some of them were like, that's it. We can't show our face in public anymore. Like to even be associated with that, you know, yeah. like they were the big, the biggest band to come out of Wales of like the last two decades and bigger were, than McCluskey. You know, I, they were, yeah, <laughs> I know. they were bigger than <laughs> McCluskey is actually quite big in Europe. Um, sorry. I was like, wait, is he being serious? Cause no, McCluskey I, is quite I, big. I really like McCluskey. Yeah, they're cool. They're cool. They're good. Good band. Um, Hilarious. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway, it, you know, and, and I think they felt like they let everybody down, uh, they, wow. they let their whole country course, down, yeah. you know what I mean? That no, kind of, of stuff. of course, yeah. It's like you're the football team right. that has like some fucking person on it who commits something so heinous, so heinous that it yeah. reflects on everybody. It was despite. on the cover of every tabloid. Oh my God. You know yeah. what I mean? Every, yeah. t- and we, you know, when we finally went to the UK, the BBC told us, we don't know if we're allowed to play your music. Oh my God. You know, uh, people would say, I don't know if we're allowed to have you on, but morning shows wanted to have us on to talk like tabloid gossip yeah 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 so we had turned down all these tv appearances you know it was just it was madness i'd never been around anything and you're like just it. like i'm new and i was like <laughs> i know these guys are nice guys they've had their lives yeah uh totally turned upside down by this too like they all have kids there's no way any of them knew about it he's like i know those guys well enough to know that that singer probably wouldn't have made it to jail if they had known what he was doing you well know? no shit and um, i think typically people so. who pull shit like that aren't exactly yeah, they're, they're not out there talking I, about They're pretty it. isolated in their behavior. Like, you <laughs> yeah. don't, you know, you're yeah. not like to your coworker, like, buddy, you wouldn't believe yeah. the, the stuff I've been getting into. Right, Jesus. right. You want, hey, but you want to see what I'm into? But still, I understand because regard, like the human mind, regardless uh-huh. of how illogical it is that like these people who have this association with this person have nothing to do with it. Everybody still is kind of like, but maybe. But maybe, yeah. right. And that's well, like, how do you ever... Even though people are like, that doesn't make any sense. This you is, just, especially if you're the people that were, God, it's this like is what I think about shit. that, that I, because I've been seeing it everywhere lately, right? Is that it's easier for the average person to believe that there is an evil underhand, the conspiracy of crazy people out there mm-hmm. than to believe the idea that any of your friends, yeah, that all around you, yeah. Any of your friends could be doing something that you have no idea. They could have a secret that's so dark and so yeah, deep. Yeah. And they the, probably... the idea that every office park, yeah. that every cafeteria has somebody in it that's doing something that the rest of the people would consider monstrous, that's way scarier than some, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, all these crazy Welsh guys or something. You know no, what I mean? It's, like yeah. that's... If, it's, if it's a ring that's organized and right. there's like a... there's Because that has... There's some kind of logic to it. Right. Or an assumption that there's an end game as opposed to people acting just fucking... Yeah. Evil. That you as never really know anyone is yeah. much scarier. You know? <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> oh my god. Well but you wait. So after <laughs> but after playing punk and hardcore and whatever I mean, oh, fucking yeah. names and whatever. Sure. After all these years, like didn't the, the first uh the first record that Notivation did, you guys mm-hmm. got like the Kerrang album of the year, right? Or right, and like that, that was after... Was that weird? <laughs> yeah. You were like, what the fuck? That was pretty crazy because by then the record was already out of print. Okay. Because we the week that we put out our record, the label that it was on 
was was funded the like the sort of backer behind it the money uh-huh. behind it was martin shkreli the farmer bro uh-huh. so the <laughs> yeah. whole label crashed down because which was your label which is my label you know so <laughs> i was very intimately connected to it and Sounds i you like know, a wild year it was uh, and i yeah i also you know i also was addicted to heroin at the time so it was, yeah it was a pretty rough year for me oh God. um but now I'm, I'm sober almost a year and uh you know i don't have that label anymore i don't you know, but but right. no devotion is still together, and we're making new stuff, and it's good. And you know, well, finally, in your I feel defense, like we're you didn't know that Martin Shkreli was going to jack up the price of AIDS drugs. When I didn't he expressed an interest in helping to fund some not. bands. I did not. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's uh, I don't know. Did you have like a PR agent that year? Like, how did you? How did I you, deal with? Were it? you just like, what the fuck? Like, I'm a I'm a guy from New Jersey who played punk music. Who, yeah. Like, I was trying to buy vans for bands, you know, I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to like support some artists, you know, get yeah. like, cause a guy came to me with a ton of money who was a fan and actually did get like the music, you know, it was yeah. like, I love this band. I think this is cool. Have you heard the hotel year? You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was like really like very, he was very earnest in his own way about liking the music. And, um, he was a little shy and a little weird and he would talk about nucleopeptides and RNA transports and things that I didn't understand yeah. from the pharma companies. And I'd be like, well, I don't know about that, but if you want to give me a million dollars to give to all these bands, just fucking Robin Hood it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to try to get them all healthcare. I'm going to try, you know, all these things that like, you know, ended up kind of crashing down around them. And, and actually like the thing that I think about a lot is like how many of those bands that by putting out a record and then stranding them with the record, did I actually, you know, like they quit jobs and they, you know, they, they took a lot of chances to do yeah, this yeah. because they had backing and then all of a sudden the backing was gone. Um, I, you know, I, that's probably the thing that I carry the most guilt over is not being able to protect those bands more. Yeah. Um, but you know, as far as Martin, it's like, would I do it again? I think about that. Like, yeah, I probably would. If somebody came to me and was like, yeah, give, give all these bands money. I'd be like, yep, I'm going to give it to them. There's no, there's (laughs) nobody though that could come and nobody can back something whose money is going to, is going to be ethical. Well, you know what I mean? I did find it funny. Some of the people writing about it sensationally and being like, Aren't you guys like owned by Bacardi? Yeah. Well, it's just like yeah. And anytime, like I don't know, it's it's a it's a funny thing too. I mean, this bleeds over into the art world too, where mm-hmm. people are like, oh my god, you know, these people collect the work and blah blah. And it's like, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't have the statistics, but mm-hmm. like, where do you think any of the money for like grants mm-hmm. and these other things like that come from? Like, if you trace it back far enough, someone got fucked and exploited, and like horrible right. things happened, or right. there wouldn't be an accumulation of wealth to begin with. So right. the idea of like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is kind of funny to like, but I guess everybody needs a villain, and Shkreli was a he was a great villain for a minute for yeah, and social I think media especially people are used to letting artists get the brunt of it. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I'm, I not, think, I'm not defending Martin Shkreli. No, I don't think <laughs> I didn't think you were. I just and, mean uh, that like yeah, he he's a stand-in for it's a place to direct anger that is yeah. about a lot of things that are a lot bigger than Martin Shkreli. I mean, there's the same yeah. thing with him taking he's in jail now or something, but like mm-hmm. it seems like. The way, the reason that he ended up taking a fall mm-hmm. at the end when there's all these fucking criminals around him mm-hmm. is because he just was a fucking loudmouth about it. And yeah. he was like well, tactless or something. Also, I, I think, you know, it's a lot easier to put one guy from the healthcare industry in jail and say sure. he's a bad apple. Yeah, 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 bad. So you don't have to say like, no, this is <laughs> this, what this whole business is funded yeah. on. Do you see this corruption everywhere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. since he's been in jail, like there have been 10 other people who have done the exact of same course. thing, but they didn't brag about it. Yeah, they didn't go, they didn't buy a Wu-Tang album. <laughs> right, they didn't buy the Wu-Tang record. <laughs> what was that fucking, I mean, I know it's so obvious at this point, but when they couldn't like find a jury for him because everybody oh, had everybody like, hated everybody him. hated him. And it was all over the Wu-Tang. Yeah, it wasn't even over the healthcare stuff. was like he disrespected the Wu-Tang. 
Wu-Tang, Your Honor. Is that a real quote? <laughs> yeah, it I is. I feel like I like, made that up. No, it really okay. is. It's real. It's real. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so... Okay. What's, <laughs> Sorry. So all of this stuff... We're is, getting too abject All now. of this stuff has happened. <laughs> yeah, let's get some humor. But Okay, so what's planned for the, the 20th anniversary? That's a big fucking deal. That's, like, crazy. What are you, what are you yeah, guys going to do? Yeah, let's get back to some, that. Let's get back to the 20th. Got some shows coming up? What's what's happening? Um, yeah, no, we're... For, for the celebration of the 20th anniversary, instead of doing a, a tour... We decided let's go to each city and present sort of back-to-back shows of our two like most celebrated records. And the, and the two records that really, if you look at it, they encapsulate and define the band in, in a very real way. You have this sort of like more hopeful, more sort of groundbreaking record, which is Full Collapse. And then you have like it all turning dark right at the turn of the century when we were about to. Like, I remember we called that record uh, We're All the Time like the mo- the month before we basically went to war all the time in America and it was just like, we kind of could see it coming, you know? Um, I think everybody could obviously, but I think the record really reflected it. And, um, and so I think those two records, it doesn't matter what we do. If we were to ever put out another record that was better than either of them, they would still sort of define a a time and a sound and a sort of what was happening Um, in a way that rock and roll, I don't think maybe we'll ever define a time again, you know, I think yeah. we're moving into a post, a post-rock world, not post-rock, but <laughs> after Everyone's going to sound like uh, Jazz June. <laughs> yeah, everybody sounds like Explosion Tortoise. in the Sky now. <laughs> that, that's top, top 10. Thrill Jockey is the best-selling label <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, we could get Albini, could, we could get yeah. him out here do some stuff. <laughs> we could, but, um, but yeah, so we're going and we're presenting those records in full. That's cool. And, I mean, um, well, that's, that's what people probably want to fucking hear. Yeah. And it's kind of... I don't know. That seems to me like as, as like a music fan, it's, I mean, that's what people, they want to go and they want to experience this thing. It's also like a bit of a time travel. And it's like, that's going to do something for them that like, you know, you can never really put your finger on exactly what it is, Mm -hmm. but emotionally and everything else, it's going to connect to this thing. And that's like pretty cool to do. And also to hear it front to back. No, I'm psyched about it. I have friends who hate doing things if they have anything to do with nostalgia or anything. But the way I feel about it is like, I'm so lucky to have made a mark at all. And I don't feel weird that like everything else that I do, like literally everything else that I do as an artist will always be somehow grounded back to those two records. That's how people know me. And like, that's not weird for me. Like it, I mean, sure. I'm not 40 yet. And I have a career in the rear view mirror. It's pretty weird, but I'm very thankful that I've been allowed to. And that, that those records have stood some test of time is kind of, it's crazy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean, like that's cool. Well, the lyrics aged well. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no, like, I don't feel like anybody's going to dig up like an old Thursday recording where they're like, Jeff's a misogynist. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's a little like, not that yeah. I'm not naming. I was band. very conscious. I'm not naming any writing. bands or anything, yeah, but there are yeah. some that like, I really loved yeah. at the time that I think I just, I don't know. I was a kid. I didn't have sure. the right perspective to think about certain things. And now looking back and I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Wow, yeah. That's pretty gnarly. What you yeah. say? there are genre but at the time i remember you know like i remember uh uh, my friend katie otto from dc who was like a part of the whole discord thing she put out this label exotic fever put out so many great bands um she would call she would just call it ex-boyfriend core yeah (laughs) all the ex-boyfriends making their mark that's what the x's on the hands were for (laughs) ex-boyfriend oh my god are you straight edge no i hate women (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. oh shit (laughs) okay God. I thought maybe you didn't drink beer. <laughs> oh, I drank. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. I'm sure that people can check out. Uh, people can probably find dates and things like that. Uh, on yeah, which is a Thursday web. Is it like it's like full cult. 
I think is it's it Thursday.net. Okay. It's That's... not the... Didn't it used to be the, the album title or something for a mm, long time? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. Remember. I know I'm that... I'm trying to remember when I used of... to actually visit bands' websites. <laughs> yeah. Type it in. <laughs> as of right now, I think all of these shows are sold out. I think we've sold out every <gasps> show we've done for the 20th anniversary. Well, so if you're listening, go fuck yourself. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> go. But I'm trying to convince the band to add a couple last shows so that people can... Because it's cool that they sold that and everything, but I want anybody who wants to celebrate these records with us, yeah. I'd, like, I'd like them to be able to do yeah, yeah. sort of the way I feel about it. Um, so, so yeah, so I guess there'll be more announcements, maybe, I hope, as long as I can convince the rest of my band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and if you can't go, I guess you there will definitely be some shitty bootleg iPhone video that with yeah. the sound blown out on YouTube, probably you know in the don't. coming months. You can check those out. Um, well, Jeff, thanks so much for coming by today. Sean, I know thanks for having me. I know you're busy, you, but it's really wonderful to uh, to catch up, get to talk to you, and hear some more about this crazy history. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and to everybody out there listening, uh, we'll catch you next week. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah,